Keyboard Kimura AV Network is presented by OneBone. Fall is here, and OneBone has you covered when it comes to looking fresh as the temperatures start to cool. From numerous short sleeve styles and cuts, to long sleeve selections, hoodie options, the Essential Bomber, and the Trench Hoodie, OneBone has styles, colors, and sizes to meet all your needs this fall. As a supporter of the Keyboard Kimura AV Network, use promo code ESK10 at checkout. That's my initials, ESK, and the number 10 for 10% off your order. Based in Montreal, everything is Canadian made, but ships all over the world. So check out the website, onebone.com, or download the app and join the OneBone family today. OneBone, big and all. Friendly Neighborhood Spencer Man here on Thursday, the 1st of September. Boy, it feels weird to say that. We're already in September, but here we are. UFC Paris is on Saturday. That means it is time for 10 Things I Like, our weekly Thursday trip through the fight card where I tell you the things that have me excited about what's on tap on Saturday. You've been here. You've been doing this with me for a while. I've been doing a piece like this for much of my career, and so we'll dive right in. First thing. Cyril Gunn's demeanor. So I got the chance to talk to the UFC Paris headliner, the former interim champion, on Tuesday. Uh, I've talked to him throughout his career. We have a good relationship, both he and I and he and his coach, Fernand Lopez. Called him up, had the chance to talk, and to have someone in his position coming off his first career loss, fighting at home, headlining at home, and it's a big historic event, for Paris, for France, the first UFC event in the country after many years of fighting for, for legalization and it only being legal for a couple of years now, for him to be in the spirits he was in when we spoke on Tuesday. Lots of laughs, very excited, looking forward to this opportunity. He called it a celebration. And you don't necessarily hear that from somebody in his position, right, looking to rebound from the first loss of his career, a fight where he was winning and then didn't have answers for Francis Ngannou's grappling. You don't, you don't hear that. You don't necessarily, that's not, maybe you hear it, but it doesn't come across as genuinely as it did when I spoke to him on Tuesday. He is so excited to bring the UFC to Paris to get to share this event with not only his family and friends, but his fellow teammates, Nasruddin Imavov, William Gomi with his coach, Fernand Lopez, who has been like a big brother to him throughout his MMA career, throughout his MMA journey. And it just feels to me like he is someone that is in such a great state of mind, frame of mind going into this, that I'm really impressed. This is one of those situations and I wrote about it on Wednesday for OSDB Sports, where you never know what's going to happen, right? Losses, especially first losses, can really have an impact on a fighter. They can, they can alter the way an athlete sort of comes out there and looks to compete in what they do in the cage, even the way they carry themselves sort of outside of the cage. 
Kamaru Usman after his loss to Leon Edwards. All the right things. Talked about the weight being off his shoulders, full of laughs, looking forward to the rematch, not worried about him. The other end of the spectrum, Ronda Rousey. Hides her face when she comes through the airport after losing to Holly Holm. Doesn't want to talk to anybody. Goes basically into seclusion for the better part of a year. Only person she talks to in terms of media is Ramona Shelburne from ESPN, who does a kind of glowing profile feature send up on Ronda. Goes out, loses to Amanda Nunes. That's it. We, we still haven't really heard from, talked to Ronda about the end of her career all these years later. And so for, for Gon to be in the position he's in, for him to have sort of the, the frame of mind that he has going into this, which is a dangerous fight against Tai Tuivasa, a guy that's, as I said yesterday, playing with house money here, has nothing to lose, can just come to France and try to beat Ciro Gon and, and punch his ticket into the upper tier of the heavyweight division. It's great to see. It makes me think that this isn't going to be a situation at all, like Francis Ngannou when he lost to Stephen Miocic. That wasn't his first loss, but it was a, a big high-profile loss. It's not going to be anything other than a bump in the road. The way he put it, and, and the title of the piece as it ended up coming out on UFC.com, was We Go Forward. And that's what he said, was like, look, I made mistakes. I fought Francis Ngannou. I made some mistakes. He had a good night. That's okay. We go forward. Looking forward to seeing Cyril Gon go forward. On Saturday night. Item two, we get a step forward in the heavyweight division. Now it's not the maybe full step that I would like, that all of us would like. We would like some some greater clarity at the top of the division. We would like to know what's happening with Francis Ngannou and John Jones and Stipe Miocic and how that triumvirate is going to be booked out. But we get a little bit more clarity, right? We've got Curtis Blades coming off the win over Tom Aspinall, who is sort of settled in right now as the clubhouse leader in the in the race for that fourth position, as, as the guy that will fight potentially, the guy that doesn't get into the big fight out of those three. But the winner of this one is in that mix as well. And Curtis Blades actually said earlier this year, like going into the fight with Aspinall in London, like, it kind of makes sense that I get the winner of the fight in Paris. And that could very well be what's on the table here. Either way, regardless of how this gets booked out, we're going to get a better understanding of what the absolute top of this division looks like, what the top of the division looks like in terms of the active fighters, right? Because Nganu, Jones, and Miocic, as, as great as they are, are not currently active. And so we're going to get a little bit of of understanding an idea, maybe a sense of how we can see some of these fights booked in the next, you know, hopefully three or four months, but at, at most, at worst case, maybe nine months of, of looking ahead at the top of the heavyweight division, which can't, can't, be, can't be stale for any longer. We need it to get moving again. We've got too many good fighters and too many intriguing matchups for this to just be prolonged any further i hope the ufc gets it figured out i hope this fight on saturday helps in that process because there's a bunch of fights that i want to see that you want to see that everybody wants to see so hopefully this gets us moving towards those fights item three the robert whitaker marvin vittori fight as a fight i said yesterday and i said on on monday that i don't like this fight in terms of what it does for the division 
I stand by that. Not a huge fan of fights where nothing happens as a result, right? The winner of this doesn't go anywhere. They're not challenging for a title. You listened to me rant about it, hopefully, on Monday. And thank you if you did. But as a fight, as a matchup between skilled competitors and talented middleweights, I love this fight. I'm I'm all in. There's things I want to see here. There's questions I have. Can Marvin Vittori make some adjustments and add a little bit more? It's almost a little more style, a little more pizzazz to his game than what we've seen in the past. That is very meat and potatoes. That is very workmanlike, right? Solid boxing, solid wrestling, solid grappling, just kind of comes at you and, and beats you. Can Robert Whitaker have the kind of performance that that he needs to have that sort of affirms that he wants to stay active, that he wants to stay in here and hold down this spot as the as the silver medalist, excuse me, in this division, so that anybody that has any ideas right now of maybe Robert Whitaker's ripe for the picking just isn't true. From a fight standpoint, and especially with with just three rounds. I think these two guys come out here and put on an absolute barn burner or try to, right? Both both men will try to. I don't know if it gets there. We'll see on Saturday. But skill for skill, style for style, talent for talent. This is a very good fight. I just wish we were getting each of these men against somebody that can advance in the division if they're able to beat them. And if they're not, we get a little more understanding. Like, I think both of these guys are sort of stuck in a position where we know who they are. We know where they fit. And right now they should be facing my opinion. Again, if I'm in charge of the UFC fighters that are on the come up so that we learn more about the ascending class rather than kind of just have this fight that doesn't advance either of them forward. But as a fight, as two dudes that are going to step in the cage on Saturday morning, Saturday, early afternoon here, I guess in Paris, sign me up. I'm in. Item four, William Gomi getting a showcase at home. I honestly wish the UFC did this more, and, and, and to their credit, they have been, right? We've seen London twice this year, and the reaction that those, those British fighters, for the most part, especially Molly McCann and Patty Pimblett, have received each time they've walked out to the cage. There's something about that hometown pop. There's something about getting the chance to compete in front of people that are familiar with you, right? People that have watched your ascent, people that have experienced your ascent that has a way of, of sort of elevating the profile of a fighter. Now, performance needs to be there. Personality is absolutely a part of it. You can't just pretend like, like Patty and Malls aren't rising the way they are, in part at least, because of their incredible personalities and, and tremendous charisma. That's a part of it. But there's also something to seeing and hearing and feeling a hometown crowd get behind their guy and, and raise them up and sort of treat them and recognize them as a star in their surroundings that elevates fighters, right? We saw it when Stipe Miocic went home and defended the heavyweight title in Cleveland. That was the first real time, as great as Stipe is, and he is terrific has always been terrific. That was the first real time Stipe Miocic felt like a superstar. And it's because he was in Cleveland. It's because he was in front of people that had been supporting him from the jump 
And now they got to see him come home, UFC gold in the air, headlining a pay-per-view. It just, there's something to it. And I hope the UFC does it more. Obviously, there's the Connor example going back to, to Dublin. There's Alex Gustafson headlining in Sweden a bunch of times. And it doesn't even have to be headlining. It just has to be a situation like this, right? I love the fact that going into Saturday, William Gomi is a newcomer in the UFC, but he's on the main card. And if he goes out and has a great performance in a fight that is winnable, then he goes from being a newcomer that that general UFC fans and maybe even some hardcore fans have no experience with to a guy that instantly becomes a, let me, let me wait and see. Let me take another look at this guy. Let me make sure I see what happens with him going forward because that's what happens, right? He's going to come out and people are going to pop and the people on the call are going to tell you all about his exploits and cage warriors and other promotions and the finishes that he's had. And you're going to see some highlights and he's going to look and he's going to feel like he's somebody you got to pay attention to. And a piece of that outside of the skill, outside of the result is that he's going to get treated on home soil like a superstar. Love that it's happening. I hope that it happens more going forward. Number five, Charles Jordan and Nathaniel Wood. I love everything about this. Everything. Toot the shows. Love it. Anyway, this goes, it's a terrific fight. If it's a brawl, it's terrific. If it's technical, it's terrific. If they grapple and scramble, it's terrific. But it also tells us a great deal about each fighter. So it's a great opportunity for Charles Jordan to make a relatively quick return from fighting in July on Long Island and maybe get back in the win column. It's also a quick return for Nathaniel Wood, who fought a week later in London and got a good win in his featherweight debut. It's a chance to get a sense, a greater sense of where these two guys fit in the division, sort of just outside the top 15 right now, but we get a little better understanding of of where in that second 15 they are and maybe how much further up into the rankings, into that top 15, maybe top 10, they can climb over the next year. I think it tells us about Wood's shift to this division and and how far he can maybe go or not go. I think it gives us a chance to to see some potential improvements from Charles Jordan, who is always trying to improve, who is always looking to to bolt things on between fights and was, was very diligent in his pursuit of this opportunity this is an absolute banger it's the right fight to kick off the main card it is a terrific matchup in terms of stylistic pairing between these two young 26 year olds with all kinds of upside who even if they don't ever get to championship level top five level any of those things should continue to have long successful entertaining careers in the ufc going forward Number six, we get a fighter I can't quit, Dustin Stoltzfus. Now listen, it's probably because I've talked to him before just about every one of his his UFC appearances, thanks to his management, Ruby S.E., Danny Rube. And this time out, when when we spoke this time, so he's coming off a win over Dwight Grant. But I knew coming out of that fight, he spoke about the pressure of losing his first three, especially after Dana White bigged him up when he gets his win on the contender series against Joe Pfeiffer. And he spoke both after that fight. And then when we were on the phone earlier this month or or last month now, since it's September about 
sort of how that pressure just snowballs, right? How it's just exponential weight that falls on your shoulders because you think you're ready to compete at this level. You think you're capable. You believe you're capable. And then you go out and you lose the first one and you think, all right, I just, you know, he was better than me that night. I just couldn't execute. Fine, we'll get it in the next one. And then the next one's against Rodolfo Vieira, a multiple-time world champion who is just better at the things you do than you are, at least in terms of the pure grappling. And you get into the third round of that fight and you start feeling pressure and you start feeling like, God, it's not coming. And you lose that one. Then you go out and you fight Gerald Mearshart and you're on a two-fight slide. First time in your career, you've lost back-to-back fights. And there's this feeling of, am I ever going to get this done? Am I ever going to get a victory? And you go out and you make some mistakes and Gerald Mearshart capitalizes and all of a sudden you're 0-3 in the UFC. And you're stuck figuring out, what the hell am I going to do? How do I get out of this? And it all just feels compounding. And so for Stoltzfus to talk about that as earnestly as he did, as genuinely as he did, you've got me. I'm a fan. I'm paying attention. I want to see you succeed because he looked good last time out against Dwight Grant. And he's somebody that, again, maybe it is just because we've spoken so many times. Maybe it is because I want to root for him, because I appreciate the candor, because I appreciate and understand the anxiety and the nerves and the challenges that come with competing on this level that I want to root for him. But I also think that there's something there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe me and everyone else that saw him on the contender series and, and saw his fights before that and saw the flashes so far in the UFC are wrong in our assessment, but he feels like a guy to me that he just, it feels like he's always one step away from turning the corner. And fighters like that are guys are fighters that I just, as I said, as as this is is set, I can't quit. There's somebody that I'm going to continually think is is just one one win, one good performance away from turning the corner. He's got a tough fight, a good fight against Abbas Magomedov on Saturday. He is a Russian-born, German-based fighter that Dustin is very familiar with. He knows what to expect. He's going to have his full corner with him for the first time in his UFC career. I want to see how that impacts things. I want to see how that influences his performance. And I just want to see if this guy that I, I have a sense about and I have a little bit of a soft spot for can go out and have a good performance on Saturday. Number seven, the Mihail Figlak debut. So when my, my severe MMA cohorts, Ian O'Neill and, and Harry Powell, tell me that somebody is a quality prospect and Harry describes their style in the cage as mean and, you know, colors it up with some curse words and, and Harryisms that I love, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. And so Figlak is a guy that's 8-0, coming in off a very good win over, over Aggie Sardari, former Cage Warriors champ. He's facing a solid de- opponent in his debut in Ferez Zayem, who has got two wins in the UFC, two solid wins in the UFC over, over good fighters. Lost last time out to Terrence McKinney, but as Harry would say, these things happen in MMA. Terrence McKinney is a very good fighter. And so this is just a chance to see this young, up-and-coming 26-year-old with an unbeaten record who has done well at one of the highest regional levels there are in the sport. 
and just get a sense of of where he fits and where he whether he belongs at this at this level right now and also where he fits in this division both right now and potentially going forward i'm not going to make any like long term hard and fast decisions about Figlock based on this performance itself. I'm not going to say, hey, this guy's, I'm not cavalier enough to say this guy's going to be a champion off one performance, especially not off one performance against someone like Ferez Zayem, who is still relatively young, both in his career and in age. But it's a chance to get a sense, and it's why I like preliminary card fights. It's why I pay attention to all this stuff. It's why things like this land on shows like this, where I'm talking about the things I like. This is a starting point of a UFC career and I look forward to seeing what the rest of it brings and I think Saturday will tell us a little bit about what the rest of it may bring. Number eight, Nasruddin Imavov's upside. So it's a guy I've been talking about all week. He was my fighter to watch on Tuesday. Talked about him yesterday in one question. He's 26. Smooth striking, sharp striking, clean striking. He can grapple. Like, what is not to like about this guy? He's coming off two good wins. And those performances were the were the kind of fights, especially coming off the loss to Phil Hawes, which if you watch it back as he did this week, he sort of accepts positions throughout the first and second round of that fight. And then in the third, when he starts letting go of his hands and he starts asserting his own will in the fight, if you will, he starts having success and he rocks Phil Haas a couple times and he puts him on shaky legs a couple times and you go, oh, okay. When and, and since then, as I wrote about on Tuesday, he sort of built from that and decided, I need to be first. I need to be the one acting as opposed to accepting whatever is coming my way. And those two fights, those two wins over Ian Heinish and Edmund Shabazian were, oh, I see you moments for me. Like, okay, he's figuring it out. He learned from the Phil Haas fight. And now he's coming out here and he's throwing his hands and he's mixing in some kicks and he can fight Southpaw and he can fight Orthodox. And as he said, he can grapple a little bit when he needs to. Like this is a, this is a guy that feels like the complete package in, in terms of tools and skills and the raw materials. And now it's just a matter of seeing how well he can put it all together and how far he can take it. Middleweight, as we always talk about, is a division where there's lots of opportunity, especially for young fighters like Imovov, who haven't faced everybody ahead of them in the division, who don't have a history with a lot of those tenured talents in the top 15. Joaquin Buckley on Saturday is a dangerous opponent. He's on a three-fight winning streak. We all remember the knockout of Impa Kasangade. They're going to play it many, many times in the next bunch of days. For good reason. It's it's still a hell of a kick. It's still one of the best knockouts I've ever seen in my life. It's still amazing. Every time. I I know it's coming. I know what's going to happen when Impa catches that kick. And it still makes me laugh and giggle and chuckle and be excited every time I see it happen. So it's a good fight. It's a tough assignment. But I think it's one that he should win. That he has a chance to dominate and get another victory to put himself in position to move forward in the middleweight division if not get one more before the year is out early next year, first quarter next year, get a top 10 assignment, see what we can do. Number nine, Benoit Saint-Denis is fighting. I said yesterday that, that this fight on Saturday was going to be my sort of wait and see if, if he becomes a guy that gets this treatment, but what's the point waiting? 
Why put off till tomorrow what I can do today? Benoit Saint-Denis is fighting and I'm excited. It's a thing I like. And why not, right? 26, action fighter, southpaw, finisher, coming off a mugging of Nicholas Stolze in his last fight after showing incredible resolve and durability in his debut against Elizu Zaleski. I mean, what's not to like about this guy? Like I said, he's a, these, these former special forces guys, right? We've seen it with Tiago Maheta. We've seen it with Tim Kennedy. Now we're seeing it with St. Denis. They are built different. They are wired different. And I'm all in on this dude as someone who, no matter who he's fighting, when he's fighting, where it is on the card, any of those things, I'm looking forward to seeing him compete. I like entertaining fights. I like fighters that want to go out and put on entertaining fights. And Benoit Saint-Denis is one of those people. You look at his resume, you look at even just the two fights he's had in the UFC. This dude wants to fight. This isn't somebody that we're ever going to have to worry about coming out there and just clinching and just grinding. Even when he does wrestle, as he did against Nicholas Stolze at times, it's slam you to the floor, punch you in the face, and then try to strangle you. Give me all of it. If you don't want your shares, I will take them. I will set up shop on BSD Island. You can come and join me in a couple of fights when you've been convinced. I'm getting in early on this one. I'm staking my claim. My flag is planted. Me and Benoit Saint-Denis every time from here on out. Let's fucking go. Last but not least, number 10. I like the fact that Stephanie Egger is in for Zara Fairn against Eileen Perez. Talked yesterday about the big talk from Eileen Perez telling Juliana Pena to shut her mouth, saying she's going to fight, you know, win this fight and then face Amanda Nunes in December for the featherweight title, which is just wild, right? But I actually like the fact that Stephanie Egger is circled in here for Zara Farron, who was forced out. Because with all due respect to the French veteran, she's 35, she's 0-2 in the UFC, she hasn't won a fight since the tail end of 2017. And, be, and, and Perez going out and beating her on Saturday tells me nothing. Now, if Zara Farron was to beat her, it tells me everything I need to know about Eileen Perez and makes those, those tweets to, to Juliana Pena and, and tagging Amanda Nunes show up in freezing cold takes at some point going forward. But if she can go out and beat Stephanie Egger, who got a good win earlier this year over Jessica Rose Clark, who's 7-2 and two overall and a former Commonwealth, I believe, judoka winner, not Commonwealth because she's from Switzerland, but former national judoka, national medalist in judo. This is a good win if she can go out and get it. This is a good fight. It's a good matchup. And I know that there's only a one-year age difference between the 34-year-old Stephanie Egger and Zara Fairn, and that the records aren't that different, right? Seven and two or seven and three isn't all that far off from six and four. But if you watch them compete, if you watch their recent UFC performances, you understand that Stephanie Edgar is a different level of competitor, is at a different point of her career and her athletic ability than Zara Farron is. And so bringing her into this one, her having the opportunity to hustle into this one and, and face Aileen Perez feels like a good matchup, gives me a little more to work with in my let's see what this lady has after talking all of that mess on Saturday. That's it for the things I like. We're going to try to do, Dan Urban, this is for you. We're going to try to do video punch drunk predictions 
and video you want to make a bet. I've got a lot of assignments left on the whiteboard over here that you guys can't see before I get out of here on Monday. And so I'm going to do those and try to squeeze in a couple more videos. They may end up just being podcasts. They may end up, they're probably not going to end up just being written because written takes much longer than all of this, but we're going to try. I've been enjoying this. I like being able to put out the content, I like building out the YouTube page. I like that you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to this, download this, and every day you can get something new for me or just about every day you can get something new for me to listen to or watch or consume however you choose to. So we're going to try to do it. No promises, no guarantees. There's a lot of stuff to do between now and then, but we'll try to get them out to you. Appreciate you for tuning in. I appreciate you for checking this out, for subscribing to the channel, for subscribing to the newsletter, following on Twitter, all the stuff you do, all the support, all the comments, feedback, everything. It means the world to me. Just out here trying to do good stuff that you guys enjoy. So thank you for, for paying attention, for enjoying it, for consuming my content. I hope this helps you get excited for Saturday. I'm getting more and more pumped, as I said yesterday. Every time I talk about these fights, I get a little bit more excited. And I think you can you can hear it and feel it in my in my voice and in my presence here. Saturday can't come quick enough. It's it's breakfast and face punching. I can't wait. UFC Paris is gonna be a good time. Until then, take care of yourselves. Good to one another. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.